Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. Man, you guys are good-looking. And we have a lot of good-looking small group leaders in the house tonight. Hey, if you're a small group leader, stand to your feet real quick, real quick. I, what? Look at all of these pastors in the house. Hey, hey. Everybody, no matter where, you can keep standing. I know you're not used to standing. I know. I want to pray for you. I like, Lord, I just thank you for these leaders, these shepherds who care about your flock. I just pray that you bless them, anoint them, prosper them in every way, their families, their marriages, everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. For real, if you have not joined a small group, I, I, I honestly, you know, when I was looking at this small group guide, my, my dream when we planted this church was that someday we would have like a, a, a catalog of small groups that felt like the course catalog of a seminary, but really more than that, I wanted it to be like a full service hospital where we got something for everybody. And you know what? I, I'm never going to say we're there fully because, you know, there's always room for improvement. But I, I'm, I have to say I'm pretty stinking impressed by all of the groups that we have going on here. And I'm just telling you, I don't know what your need is, but there's a tribe for you. Make sure you're checking them out. And some of you, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but your job, there's a lot of people in our church who will never step foot in a small group unless you invite them. So you come to church to pull them down the funnel. Come on. Can I hear a better amen? All right. Well, okay. Now, many of you, one, one little quick side note to another little cool thing. Uh, many of you guys know that uh, Carolyn and I help lead an organization called The Ark, which is a church planning organization. We give startup capital to launch churches all over the world. Every four to seven days, we launch somebody somewhere, and it's kind of fun. And so you guys know, you guys saw the video that I played a little bit ago that we just did uh, conferences in uh, UK. We did an art conference in Liverpool, and then we did an art conference in Ireland, and then you, you did South Africa, and then we all almost died, and then we came back. And no, no, we're good. I died of exhaustion. But now, we got rested up and it was great. But one of the, I'll tell you, in, at Ark Liverpool, I'll tell you, I got to meet a pretty cool couple right up here in front from London, jolly old London town. Quick, just stand up real quick. Just wave to everybody. Jen and Tyron Cupid O. I love you guys from Esher in London and they're, they're planting. It's like the coolest part of London too. I'm like, what? So like, just so you guys know, I, I, I want to highlight and celebrate these things because what you celebrate, you accelerate. And I really believe that, that we need more small group leaders and more planters. And we're going to do campuses all over this city, but all over the world too. And, and I, I, I just get on mission. Don't, don't let your, don't miss the moment to get on mission because I feel like, I feel like God is on the move and we get to be a part of, of what the Lord is doing around the world. As another example, uh, I, I was doing an art conference in, I think it was Charleston, and uh, I, after one of the services, I got to meet this crazy dude named Tony Boyd, who uh, is also in the house. In fact, Tony, can you come on up here real fast? I okay, now, what, 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 what made me love Tony is he literally is kind of my brother from another mother. I mean, I'm not as cool as him, and I'm, my family isn't as diverse as his because I'm, you know, Danish, Minnesotan. But I, I just, 
I, uh, you know, I, like the moment I met you, man, I loved you. And it was like the amount of things we have in common were almost a little weird. Like even just freestyle BMX. We both did freestyle BMX. What are the odds? And then we both became pastors. What are the odds? And then, and then like, actually, just by, by the way, okay, if you ever see me wearing a pair of cool shoe, shoes, it's because this guy bought it for me. And uh, I, I got to preach at his church in Ashtabula, Ohio. It's like a suburb east of, of Cleveland. And I was blown away. I mean, he could just preach the socks off of me any day of the week. And I was just like, dang, we have to do life together. Like, I, I, I don't even just love you. I love your, your whole family. I, lo- I mean, your wife. You, you have three beautiful daughters, very similar in age to, to my kids. I just was like, you know what? We have to do life. And, and Tony, you've been here before. You've, you've actually been visiting. You've been in the audience of a first Wednesday. And so now, but, but hey, I want you to come here and just take ownership of this platform tonight. And so, Father, I just thank you for Tony and his family. And just, Lord, what what an amazing preacher you've placed in Ohio. And I know uh, the call that's on his life is really meant to go all around the world. And not just on him, but his daughters, their callings. They are supposed to go all around the world. And I just pray that you'd multiply his joy tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand to your feet one last time? Give Tony Boyd a warm substance. Welcome. What's up, substance? Come on, let's put our hands together. Come on, let's celebrate Jesus in this place. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, can we give your incredible pastors a round of applause as well? Come on, this is a global church. Amen. 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 Before you take your seat, would you just stretch your hand up in the air? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we just thank you, God, for what has already transpired in this room. God, I believe that this is a divine encounter between us and you, a moment that can shift all of our history, that will become an important part of the chapter of the book that you are writing in our lives. And I believe that in this moment right now, God, that you would just open our hearts to receive every word, every promise, every instruction that you have for us that we may become the people that you have already predestined for us to be. Mighty men and women called to the gospel to change the world. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, give somebody a high five and say it's first Wednesday. Amen. Amen. I didn't tell you to sit down. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, Hey, do me one more favor. Will you look on the other side and tell that person you smell good tonight? Yeah. Listen, in Ohio, we be trying to establish and build relationships. You know, you might be talking to somebody. Praise God. Well, listen, my name is Tony Boyd, and I am so excited to be here at Substance. But I want to shout out your pastors, Pastor Carolyn and Pastor Peter, because they are incredible individuals. Like he said, I met them at a conference Um, in Charleston, South Carolina, but I met them at a time in my life where my church was growing exponentially. On the outside, ministerially, it looked like I was living the dream, but I was actually falling apart on the inside, not because I was sinning or falling away from Christ, but because I needed relationship. See, I needed somebody in my life to do life with. So when we're talking about small groups, when we're talking about getting uncomfortable 
Come on, somebody. And, and we're talking about getting into relationship. What happens when you decide to get uncomfortable and get into a relationship, things begin to open in your lives that will begin to open destinies for you in your life, where people will be able to pour into you and you reciprocate that by pouring back into them. And you'll never know where, what God will do and where he'll take you if you're willing to take a step toward a relationship. Amen. And I just want you guys to know that I love you with like all my being. I love you because you love me. I love you because you love my wife. And I love you because you love my children. It's easy to be loved as a leader, but it takes great men and women to love the children of leaders. It's easy to love the platform, but can you love the ones who pay the sacrifice? And for that, I am grateful for you guys. So thank you for loving me. Amen. Well, listen, I'm not going to labor because they told me I got like 80 minutes or something like that. So I want to try to hurry up. But um, I, I wanted to, you know, do the customary thing and show you a picture. I don't have a good picture of my family, which lets you know how often I get out to do these kinds of things. Come on, somebody. But, but I did get a picture of my wife and I. And this is a picture of my wife. Her name is Faith. You know, faith in, um, I obviously married up, you know what I'm saying? And, um, she is the nervous system of my life. I could not be the person that I am. I couldn't do what I do without this incredible woman of God in my life. She is the backbone, the prayer warrior. She is the one who is helping me to become the man that God has called and created me to me. So shout out to all the women in the house, all the wives in the house who are helping to push their men to be mighty. Well, I want to share with you guys a message that I believe that God deposited for you guys on tonight. And, and I need you to say something. I'm a call and response guy. The quicker you respond, the faster I go. And we'll probably shave that thing from 80 to 79, 58. And we'll have a great time in the after party. Amen. But I want you to say, keep digging. Say it one more time. Say, keep digging. God wants the church to keep digging because God has a plan, he has a process, and he has a promise for everybody in the room. And part of it is, is most of us in the room get to see the plan of God, but we get lost in the process, which doesn't allow us to walk in the promise that he predestined before we were in our mother's womb. So I want to talk to you guys and show you what the plan looks like because you may be saying, well, well PT, man, I don't even know what the plan looks like. Let, I'm lost in the process and don't even know what I'm lost in, right? So what I want to do is I want to show you a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, starting in verse number 10. I'm going to read two scriptures. And this is the plan that God has for all his people. So this isn't just for them. This is for us. Say it's for me. So the Bible says this in verse number 10. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers. So you've got to understand that God has made a promise that was enacted generations before you planted your feet on the earth. So there is something that God has an inheritance for you in your life that, that has been in existence since the beginning of time. 
And it says to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which means it's not just for you, it's for the generations that will follow after you. It's not enough for you to win in this Christianity life that we're living on earth so you can get to heaven, but God has always meant it to be a situation where your children's children's children are planting churches. They're following the call of God. They're in the move of God. So it's not just you, it's generational. And he says, and I've, I've been wanting to give you this land, and it's a large land. It's, it's a land with flourishing cities that you did not build. In other words, there are going to be things that are going to come into your life that you didn't put your hands to. It says houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. In other words, you didn't work for some of the blessings that God has in store. All right? So some of the things that we get caught up in with duty... Come on, because we do that as Christians. I'm going to talk about that, I'm, comma or, or semicolon or whatever, right? I'm going to come back to that because, because, listen, you have to understand that provision comes from the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor are laboring in vain. So God's trying to put you and set you up into a situation and a scenario where things are just beginning to flow into you so they can flow through you. Amen. So, so it says there are going to be wells that you did not dig. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because wells are life-giving sources. You can live without food. You can't live without water. And he who controls the well in the city controls the city. Because the well is the life source in the city. So there's going to be some wells you didn't dig. There's going to be some vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. And it says you're going to eat. And when you've eaten, been satisfied, which means this life that we're living here on earth is not a destiny that we're like, well, this one's going to suck, but it's going to be great when I get to heaven. But it says you're going to be satisfied right here. So there's a satisfaction that God wants to bring into your life while you're on the earth as well. And he says, when you've eaten and you've been satisfied, be careful. Everybody say, be careful. To not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So the only caveat to the plan is that you don't forget. How blessed can God make you before you forget? At what point and how far and how large can he increase your capacity without you forgetting? So my prayer is always, Lord, never let me forget who I was when you found me. Not where I am today, but who I was when you found me. Amen? So this is the plan of God, right? So when, you, when someone says, well, hey, well, what do you think God has for your life? Say, oh, that's easy. I'm going to take you right to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 10 through 12, because that's the plan for my life. Amen? But we've gotta, we can't just sit in the plan because there's a process. And God wants to kind of spend our time here tonight in the process. So I want to take you guys to some scripture where we were seeing Isaac, right? Abraham's son. And Isaac is in a time where there's a famine in the land. And it seems as though God is on his life. He's blessing his life. But it seems like he hasn't fully established himself in his own land. And, and, and I, I want to break this down a little bit for you, and I'm, I'm going to need you to kind of press in a little bit because there's going to be some things that we're going to have to unlock, and I'm going to need your help in unlocking it. And we're going to be in, in Genesis chapter 6, 
verses 12 through 16 and verse 18. And the Bible says this, Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year he reaped a hundredfold. So it's a famine in the land and Isaac chooses to sow in the time of famine and as a result reaps a hundredfold. And what you need to understand is that in order for you to sow, you must have a seed. Well, well, Isaac was the seed of Abraham. And what he chose to do was he chose to take himself, the seed, and to sow it into the land. You are also a seed. You are a seed of the Most High God. So when you chose to take your life and to sow it into the land, God has a blessing that he wants to put over you. But the problem is, is that if I tell you you are a seed, if I tell you that Isaac was a seed, most of us in the room tend to consume our seed rather than sow our seed. Now, I just got off the Daniel fast. Come on, we did 21 days, you know, it was like, and I was eating all kinds of seeds. <laughs> More seeds than I want to, to remember. But, but, but the thing about seeds is if you take a seed and consume it, pumpkin seeds, I had a lot of those. And a pumpkin seed has like a microcosm of nutrients to it. You know, and it's like maybe you put salt on it, it'll make your mouth water. But like the nutritional value of a pumpkin seed is not very high. Right? You got to eat thousands of them to get any sort of satisfaction. But if you take that one seed... And instead of consuming it, you plant it in the ground. What will happen is a vine will come up out of the ground. More pumpkins will begin to emerge. And those pumpkins will contain a multitude of seeds. Which lets me know that when seeds are planted, they naturally multiply. Which lets me know that when you decide to sow yourself into the earth. Well, what's the earth? It's people, right? From the earth you were formed to the earth you will return. So when you decide to sow yourself into the lives of others, what happens naturally is your life will begin to multiply. And then when you begin to multiply, come on, we're, we're getting big, right? We begin to multiply, then what happens is now you have consumable seed and sowing seed. So now you can find satisfaction in the blessing that God has for you by continuing to sow, and now all of a sudden you've got generational blessings. Right? You've got generational blessing. But, but listen, nothing happens until you decide to sow. You can't consume until you're willing to sow. One seed becomes thousands of seeds, or one seed becomes a millisecond of satisfaction. Everybody in the room, God is giving seed to. The question I have for you tonight is what are you doing with your seed? Are you consuming it? Are you sowing it? Is your life multiplying? Or are you in a state where you are continuously dissatisfied and unsatisfied with the life that you're living right now? And I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I ain't coming for you, right? This ain't like, he's like, dang, man, you brought this dude in from Ashtabula. He's over here all up in my, right? I'm not saying that, but, what I, but, I, but I do want to challenge you because I feel like unless you are challenged, you can't grow right? 
You can't grow. You'll never emerge into the person that God has always desired for you to be until you're challenged. So we see that, that, that Isaac sows in the time of famine and he reaps a hundredfold. And why does he reap a hundredfold? The Bible says because the Lord blessed him. So there's a blessing in the time of famine. The Bible says that the harvest is ripe, but the what? The laborers are few. So it doesn't matter what the government, CNN, Fox, or whoever else has to say about what's going on in America. God says, listen, the harvest is ripe. I know it looks like a famine out here, but what I need you to understand is that there's a hundredfold blessing waiting for you in the land. And I'm like, okay, God, sign me up. But then it goes on to say here, it says, man, I'm getting too excited. Calm down, brother. All right. The Bible says, then the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. Too many of us as Christians are hoping to become rich, but God wants to make you wealthy. See, you're looking for God to give you something that feels good, that's rich. Rich isn't what you want. Remember what the Bible said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a what? Rich man to get into heaven. I don't want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. Well, what is wealth? Wealth isn't just money. Wealth, wealth is peace, joy, right? Wealth, wealth is purpose, right? Wealth is those things, those intangible things that money can't buy. And what happens is God wants to make you wealthy so that that wealth goes down from generation to generation to generation. So that when people see your family, they're not just seeing you as wealthy. They're like, man, your kids are like, incredibly like joy-filled, purpose-filled kid. Like, you know, they're looking at him like, what's going on? Well, listen, I'm wealthy. I'm wealthy in health. And, and I want to be in a place where I'm, I'm walking in the wealth that God has for my life. And God has a wealth for you. And it does, listen, we do need some money. Everybody say, I want some money. Okay, everybody responded right there. Okay, praise God, right? We, we want some money because we need money to live. Provision is good, and we can do more with money than without money. Amen? Listen, I can't go to the grocery store and tell them, hey, I'm a pastor, and I want to feed some people. I need you to give me some food. They're going to say, awesome, pastor. Give me some money. Right? So the mission of God needs some money, too. But, but we see that God takes Isaac, catches him in a famine, blesses him in the famine, makes him wealthy, and then, <laughs> this is the crazy part, this guy has so many flocks and herds that it becomes ridiculous to the enemy. And the Bible actually says here, he has so many that the Philistines envied him. And the Philistines in the scripture is actually a type and shadow of the enemy, i.e. Satan. So if we believe in God, we've got to know that we've got an enemy too. And how many of you know the enemy is at work? Right. And what is crazy to me is that when I was reading the scripture and God began to show me is that the enemy isn't angry at me. He's envious of me. But why would the enemy be envious of me? Well, the reason that the enemy is envious of you is you have something the enemy will never have. The whole reason he's trying to kill, steal and destroy your family is because he's jealous of you. Well, why would he be jealous? I don't have anything. But see, the thing that you have is what he wanted. When he was in heaven, he lifted himself up to be like God. And when he did that, the Bible says that God immediately kicked him, boom, with his foot. Get out of here, boy. Right? Come on, any of y'all? Kick in the door. Okay, I probably, let me get that in the 90s. But, and, he, and he threw him. He threw 
Jerusalem, amen? All the way down to the earth with a third of the angels because he was trying to be like God. And this is the crazy thing. Right after the enemy's butt hits the ground, God comes down to the earth, gets into the dirt, and forms you. In Genesis 1.26 in the Bible says, you were created in the image and likeness of God. So you became what he always wanted to be. See, he'll never be a son or a daughter of the Most High. He'll never be considered a royal priesthood. He'll never walk in that, in that anointing that you have, and he's mad as about it. So what he's done is he's trying to discourage all of you in the room into not understanding who you are as a son or a daughter, right? And he's bringing you down and he's getting you to believe you're not a son. You've done too. And, and he, all the air. But the truth is, listen, you're just like your daddy. You just like him. You think like him. You love like him. You worship like him. You're just like your daddy. Say, I'm like my daddy. Come on, say, I'm like my daddy. I'm like my daddy. But, but I'm sick and tired of us as believers allowing the devil to, to misuse and abuse us in a way that we're forgetting and lacking the understanding of who we are as Christians. See, see, the Bible says that he is a defeated foe. It says that he is underneath your feet. But the problem is we are allowing him to have a conversation at our level because we're listening to what he says. But if he's down at my feet, I can't hear anything. So if I'm hearing him and I'm debating him, then I'm either at his level or he's at mine. And the Bible says that God cursed him to his belly, which means he can't stand. So then that must mean I've lowered myself to hear the lies that he's telling me. When instead, I ought to be. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who my daddy Amen? Amen? So you got to stop talking to the devil. Say, stop talking to him. <laughs> Quit talking to that brother, man. He ain't nobody. <laughs> Boy, I'll slap that brother, take my belt off. I'll do something on that. <laughs> that brother don't want no smoke. You know what I'm saying? We be at my church. They be like, "Well, y'all haze is kicking. I'm like, that's that smoke. I've been giving the devil. That ain't no haze. That's that smoke. That brother don't want no smoke. So we see that the enemy is envious of Isaac. And then what the enemy does is it says, so all the wells that his father's servant had dug at the time of his father, Abraham, the Philistines stopped and they began to fill them with earth. So all of the things that were alive in you at one point are being stopped up by the earth. Well, what's the earth? I told you, it's people and things. So what can build you can also destroy you. So what has happened is you're allowing people and things to get into your well and the sediment has become so stirred that it's muddied your water. And now that your, wa your water is muddy, nobody wants to drink from your well. Not even you. So the only way that you can clear a muddy well is to keep digging. You gotta dig deeper. And the deeper you dig, 
the clearer the water gets. So everybody say, keep digging. You got to keep digging. And that's exactly what Isaac did. Because when you look at verse 18, it says that Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham had died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. What Abraham realized was this. My dad was here before you were. My dad had put something in place before you ever got here. My destiny was secure before you ever got kicked out of heaven and put your feet on this earth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to what my dad did, open up what he did in the beginning, and I'm going to provide a life source for the people in the land. And that's exactly what God wants to do through you guys right here at Substance. He wants to create wells in the land that people from all over the world will be able to come to and get a drink. But we've got to go through the process. So I'm going to give you three little wells that we've got to open up that I believe that the enemy has stopped up and we're going we're gonna to create that flow tonight. Is that all right? So well, number one is this. It's the life-giving well of Jesus. We all know the story of the woman at the well. Jesus meets her. It was customary for Jews to go around Samaria. He decides to go into Samaria, meets a woman at a well, asks her for a drink of water. We know the story. She says, you know, I can't give you a drink. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Yada, 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 yada. And then he says to her, listen, I got a drink. And if you were to drink from me, you'll never thirst again. But what was it that he had that she was lacking? Well, what at one point was hate between two groups of people. And whether we like it or not, there's division in our land too, right? And, 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 and he merges this with love. And he says, listen, I don't care who you are, where you're from, or what everybody says about you. I'm trying to tell you I have a cup of love that if you'll drink from it, you'll never struggle with who you are again. You'll never be defined by where you're from because you'll know who you are. And, and I've seen so many of us, including myself, I'm not preaching to you, I'm really preaching to me. Because we've all allowed the life-giving well that Jesus gives us, which is his love, to get filled up with some debris. Well, when you first got saved, you were on fire, right? Don't you? I almost hate when people say that because like, well, you know, listen, I actually had somebody say to me one time, they were like, well, don't worry, you'll cool off. What is that? We need cool off. I don't want, I'm going to stay lit on fire. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be telling everybody. I'm going to be walking around, you know, just Jesus. I, listen, I'll be joking all the time because where I live, we don't got Target. We just got Walmart. You know what I'm saying? But I'll be up in Walmart like this. They'd be like, man, what, hey, what's going on with you? I love Jesus. Right? What, what you mean? I, I love Jesus. I, God's desire is for you to stay on fire. But what happens is things come into our life to separate us. And what happens in the church is this specifically. And I hope I can say this. But we get this John 14, 15 mentality that says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. 
It's the if you love me syndrome. Come on, how many of you have made a bad decision because somebody said to you, if you love me, then you'll... Okay, let me go over here. <laughs> right? If you love me, then you'll... Yeah. And we made a real bad decision that we regretted that we wish we could get back because we did the if you love me. And what has happened in the church is we, we do the if I obey his commands, we're doing the duty of the church hoping that he'll love us. But the truth of the matter is until you fall in love with him, you'll never really obey him. See, it's, the, it's not if you love me, it's when you love me, you'll do what I command. See, see, it, it, it's this, we've, we've flipped this thing on the wrong side. We've focused on the wrong side of the comma here. We've got to focus on the falling in love with Jesus first. You can still do the work, but you got to fall in love with him. You know, I've been with my wife for over 26 years. I know I look good, praise God. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? When did you guys get together? 11? Like, you know, come on. We've been married for 23. 23. I'm counting them jokers like, because people don't be married like that that long anymore, you know? And I'm counting them like boom, boom. And I am more in love with my wife today than I was when we first got married. I be on her, man. I be like, girl, what you, you know, I be, you know. She don't know what to do with me. She's like, this brother, you know. She, I was like, hey, you coming to Minneapolis? She's like, no, you know what I'm saying? It was like, I said, come on, girl. There's a meeting in my bedroom. You know, it's going to be like that. Like, girl, we got a hotel room. You know, it's going down. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) In anything she asks me, the answer is always, it's my pleasure. Chick-fil-A didn't come with that. I did. You know what I'm saying? She'd be like, can you take out the garbage? I'd be like, it's my pleasure. (laughs) She'd be like, hey, can you do the dishes? It's my pleasure. You know, hey, can you just walk by me so I can smell you, baby? You know, she'd be, I'm like, girl, you smell so good. Like, that's what it's about. But there's this pursuit that has never stopped. And the well never plugs up. It's always open. And listen, our seed, we're not multiplying anymore, but we still practicing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that was, that was probably too much. My bad. My bad. He like, hey, he ain't never coming back. That's all right. I'm going to have fun this one time. Praise God. But, but <laughs> praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but, 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 but for real, for real, because I'm standing on business right now. Listen, for real. I'm trying to tell you is what has happened is we're treating Jesus like we treat our marriages. You know what, what it looks like is it looks out of context, right? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm with my wife in my marriage and I'm not cheating on her because the Bible says if I do, it's adultery. So I'm in the, I'm in the relationship and I'm obeying out of the law, not out of relationship. But let me tell you, if you have a relationship that is law-driven, what will happen is eventually you will fall because of your sinful nature. So what will happen is you'll end up committing adultery, not in a physical sense, but in an emotional and into a mental sense. So you don't love like you're supposed to love, so your mind begins to wander. And when you wander, you wonder. And when you wonder, it's over. So what happens is you now begin to look at other women. 
and lust after them. But the Bible says that when you do that, you have committed. I don't not cheat on my wife because it says you shouldn't. I don't cheat on her because I love her. And I don't want her to be hurt. And I don't want nobody else because our fire is flaming. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nobody do it like she could do it, praise the Lord. And if something happened to her, she's like, what would you do? Because all women be asking, like, if I die, would you get remarried? I'm like, girl, ain't nobody can compare to you. You know what I'm saying? The standard to be so high, I'd be going through all these women. Like, girl, you know what? I said, you know what I'm going to do if you die? I'm just going to keep growing to church and take care of our kids. That's what I'm going to do. She was like, praise the Lord. (laughs) Right? And then she was like, I put something on nice tonight. I was like, praise the Lord. But, but do you know as fun as that is, that's what love sounds like? It sounds like this. It's joy that God wants to have a relationship with you in a well where you're laughing and it's fun and you're, you're, you're in this state of being. But what has happened is, is, is we've, we've allowed that age-old tactic that the enemy uses to pull us away from God's love. And I'm going to tell you what it is here tonight. I need somebody to slow that clock down, praise God. Is, is, is since the beginning of time, God has been trying to separate man from God's love. When we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, God has created man and woman. He gives them all this stuff, be fruitful, multiply, all that stuff. And in verse 25, it actually says this. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Why would the Bible say something like that? Well, the reason that that text is in the Bible is because it says they were naked, which lets me know that they were unique even then. But they had security, which was found in God's love because they felt no shame. So the no shame lets me know that they weren't perfectly looking, you know, it wasn't like Adam was 6'5", copper-toned skin with long hair. Like, you know, he, he, listen, he might have had a, you know, b- belly. <laughs> you, you, like, we don't, but what, this is what I know. He was unique enough that, that it tells me there was no shame in who he was. And, and listen, Why are you so ashamed of who you are? What you look like. The person, like, you know, introverts want to be extroverts. Extroverts feel like they need to become more introvert. You know, I got a pimple on my face. So what? I'm short. So what? You know what I'm saying? I didn't graduate from college with a PhD. So what? God will still use you. It's, it's not about what you don't have. It's who you are that matters. And God knew who you were before he ever created your purpose or your destiny. He already fabricated what you would do knowing who you were. He wasn't like, well, I'm going to create this great destiny. And hopefully they can, Drew, you won't mess it up. But no, he said, listen, I know who you are, man. I created you. And your destiny fits who you are. But what happens is the enemy sees who you are 
And in the very next chapter, chapter number three, he meets her in the garden. Well, what's the garden? It's the garden of her heart. She's in a physical garden, but she's at the garden. And what happens is this. She's at the garden. He says to her, and this is classic Satan. Did God really say you can't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden? He plants a seed. He's a planter too. And she immediately digs up the seed and flicks it up. She says, well, no, he didn't say, he said we can eat from any tree in the garden, but the tree in the middle is the only one we can't eat. But then Satan says this, well, you really won't die if you eat it because God knows that if you eat from it, you'll become like him. And she doesn't respond. Every lie must be overcome with the truth. Which is why Satan tried to do the same thing with Jesus in the wilderness. He met him in the wilderness, in the garden of his heart while he was vulnerable fasting. And he said, if you are the son of man, then you ought to turn these stones into bread. And Jesus took that seed, uprooted it, and said what? Well, man shall not live by bread alone. And he came back, took him to the highest point of the temple. He said, well, if you are, then cast yourself off. For the Bible says that he will give his angels charge of you lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus takes it, uproots it again, and says what? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he takes him to the highest mountain and he says, well, if you'll worship me, all of these are identity questions. If you are, he's trying to challenge and create an insecurity because insecurity separates you from love. See, what we don't realize is Adam and Eve were already created in the image and likeness of God. In the image and likeness of God, they were created, but they forgot who they were. And when they forgot who they were, insecurity came in and the Bible says they saw they were naked. Bruh, you've been naked. Satan didn't take your clothes. He stole your identity. And when he took your identity, you became insecure. And that insecurity has caused you to hide. Now you don't think you're enough. But it's always been God covering you that made you enough. Not you covering yourself. So we've got to go back. Everybody say go back. We got to go back and we've got to begin to fight the lie with the truth. If, uh uh uh, uh uh, I know who I am. And I'm going to tell you the way that you know you're in love. You know you're in love if you're dreaming. Dreaming is the fruit of love. I still be dreaming about my girl and stuff we're going to do. I ain't run out of stuff. I might run out of time but I'm not going to run out of stuff. And when you become a Christian and we get into this work, let me talk to you leaders for a second. You can't, you can't stop dreaming. Chad, you can't. Because listen, God is a creator. And the more in love we find ourselves with him, the more creative you become. Because that's the fruit. So everybody say, fall in love. love. Number two, we got, a, we got this second well we got to open up, which is the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I'm going to go through this quick. But what I need you guys to know is this. We're on a mission for God, with God, and by God, but we, it is a co-mission, which means it's not our mission, it's a co-mission. You're not the pilot, you're the co-pilot. You're not driving the plane, you're sitting next to the one driving the plane. All right, you're going to the same place, but you're not in charge. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not in charge. All the ladies looked at their husband. Praise the Lord, amen. They was like, you're not in charge, praise God. All right, all right, I'll take it. So, so, so you're not in charge. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If he came to seek and save the lost, that's our mission. And we're, we're, we're partnering with Jesus to do that very thing, right? Mark 16 and 15 says, and then he told them to go into all the world to preach the good news to the of the gospel. So your mission is to what? Change the world. You've been created to change the world. It's not just these guys sitting on this side of the room, but everybody in this room has a piece and is a part of a body that is going to be used to strategically change the world. I'm not giving up and saying, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, it ain't. If I'm in charge. It's not going to do that because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we've got to shift some things and say, I'm on a mission. Everybody say, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. So we know we're created to change the world. So we got to change the world. Why do we got to change the world? It's simple because people need Christ. I'm going to share with you guys a quick story about a guy who's been coming to my church for about 10 months. This man had been in an ATV accident that left him completely paralyzed. He didn't grow up in church. But what happened was when he became paralyzed, he got desperate. And desperation caused him to do something that, well, he wouldn't ordinarily do and honestly didn't even believe in. He came to church. And he's married and he's got a young wife they're young, guys, young. And she's trying to figure out, am I going to sacrifice my life and stay with him knowing we're not going to have children? He's going to be confined to a wheelchair. And I have my whole life to live. And I know we're in church. It's like, well, you made a covenant. And she did but she's not saved and she doesn't know. And that doesn't excuse her to sin. I'm not saying that, but she lacks understanding. And he wheels, she wheels him into our church and um, they were definitely in for a rude awakening coming to the city because it wasn't like church like they had seen. It was live, vibrant, music was loud. Folks got earplugs in. Pastor's like, turn it up. You know what I'm saying? The bass isn't high enough till I feel it in my chest, right? And, and he just, keep, he comes. One week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And one Sunday morning in the middle of the service, I'm preaching and I look at him and I say, the Lord is, gonna, is going to take your life and use it as a testimony of his power and his love. And you're going to walk. You're going to have a family, kids. And God said, get ready. And I went right back into preaching. 
The next week he came. We're in worship and no movement in his arms. He does what I call carry the baby. And he lifts his hands like this. He's sitting down. His eyes are closed and he's worshiping. A month goes by. He lifts his hands a little bit higher. Now, I know to you this isn't a big deal, but we're talking about paralyzed to, and his hands are like this. And then in July, we do a youth camp every year. We get like 200 kids from our area. We go do this youth camp at the Outdoor Y. It's like that thing that you do with, you know, students that you're like, I don't want to sleep in a tent. I'm too old, you know. You know what I'm talking about? You're up for like 97 hours straight. You know, there's not enough Red Bulls or coffee that exists, right? You're taking no-dos and many thins. You know, it's like, what is going on? And, and, and we, we do this thing every year. And it's like the greatest thing, right? It's like, I don't know why I'm doing it. And then after you do it, you're like, man, I can't wait till next year to go through all this punishment again. Because you see what God does. And we were having a baptism, which we do every Sunday morning. So it starts on Thursday, they go, and then Sunday morning they come to church and we do a baptism. And the Jeff, he says, hey man, I wanna get baptized. And I'm just being real with you. That's how I, that's, this is who I am. Like, I'm, this is, I'm just being me. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, man, he's paralyzed. Like, it's not gonna be like a baptism where you just step in, right? You gotta get him, put him in the water. It's gonna be like, we're gonna have to orchestrate this and put this together. And we're probably gonna have like 100 kids getting baptized. This is probably not the right day for baptism. So maybe, you know, we're gonna do it again on the fourth Sunday next month. You know, okay. You, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it wasn't like the most convenient thing. And I'm like, ah. And the Lord was like, no, you're going to do it. And you're going to do him first. So I'm like, all right, well, all right, God. You know, one thing I don't do is I don't fight with God. Like God say, and I'm just like, whatever. I done fought that brother too many times and got beat up. <laughs> so you got to know, right? So we, we orchestrate this whole thing. We got all these kids. It's packed in there. And we get ready to do baptisms and we pull Jeff up front. We pick him up. And there's a, a short little video that you're going to see. And this is Jeff in the baptismal pool. And we're baptizing Jeff in this baptismal pool. We put him in and God begins to give me a word. I begin to prophesy over Jeff while he's getting baptized. And what you see is I put him under the water and when he comes out, he goes from here to a full extension. His arms are lifted high. It's incredible, right? God is doing it incredibly. It's like, what? So he's like, of course, the place is like, ah, you know, and it's like pandemonium, right? Kids are going crazy. Everybody in the building is getting baptized, right? And, and, and here he is. This is Jeff. That's my guy. So I'm like, I'm like, let's go. And listen, this is in July, August, September, October, November, December, January. Jeff messages me on Instagram right before we go on our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I get off social media for 21 days. It's like I'm out, deleted off my phone. I'm not in touch with the world on that way at all. 
And three days before we start our 21 days, Jeff sends me a message. He said, hey, pastor, I just wanted to let you know that I love you so much and I'm so grateful for this church. God is doing so many things in my life that is blowing the medical community away. They have no rational or logical answers to what's happening in my body. He said, and I just wanted you to have an update because I've been going to physical therapy. And they told me that I was never going to walk again, but I remember the word that you spoke over me and I believe God. And he said, so I wanted to send you a picture of what God is doing. And this is that picture. So why do we have to be on a mission for Jeff? We got to be on a mission for the people that we don't know yet. That God wants to do something supernaturally in them. We're talking biblical miracles. But this is the thing. 15 years before Jeff, I was traveling all over the country for work. And I was in Houston, Texas. And every time I would go, I would always buy something for my girls. I'd go to the mall. Surprise, I like to shop. (laughs) And I was walking from the mall there. If you've ever been there, they got a mall. It's got a skating rink right in the middle, ice skating. And I'm walking back to the Marriott and I'm walking down the street to the hotel. And across on the other side of the street, there's a man in a wheelchair. And I've got my bags with my girl stuff in it. And the Holy Spirit says to me, Hey, Tony, I want you to go pray for that man that he'll get up and walk. And I was like, um, well, God, we're not in church. Two, what if he doesn't get up? Three, I don't know him. And four, he's probably not even gonna let me pray. So what I did was I ran, not figuratively, but I literally sped up my walk and I was like this. Okay, listen, maybe none of you have ran from the voice of God, but I have. And you wanna know what happened? The dude across the street in the wheelchair sped up. (laughs) I wish I could make this up, (laughs) y'all. And because I got nervous, I got nervous, like I was nervous when he sped up. I dipped off into an alley, got back to my hotel room and went up in my room. And when I walked into my room, it was one of the most heavy moments of the presence of God I've ever felt. I came through the door and I just immediately began to weep. And God began to say to me, who do you think you are? Who are you to rob someone of their blessing and their miracle? Who are you to say no to me? That's my son in that chair. And then he said this, I want you to know I'm going to heal him anyway. But I thought 
you might have wanted to be a part of it. And I never forgot. Which leads me to the last well. And that's the well of agreement. See, there are things that God is doing and wants to do that don't make sense. But that's because it's God. If you can reason it and rationalize it in your mind, it's probably you. But if you want to see the mighty power of God, you're going to have to make the decision to come and drink from the well of agreement. Well, what's that look like? It looks like this. For thousands of years, it had been prophesied that the Messiah would come, right? And we know that in Matthew 1:17 that the Bible says it was 14 generations from Abraham to David, plan, 14 generations from David to Babylon, process, and 14 generations from exile to the Messiah, promise. But this is what really got me, agreement. We know the story of Joseph and Mary, Jesus's mom and dad, and we see the notoriety that Mary gets because she's the virgin who's impregnated by the Holy Spirit, carrying the promise of the Messiah. But one of the details that we can't ignore is that the Bible says that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David, which was Joseph. It then goes on to say that an angel visits Joseph because he's about to divorce Mary in secret and tells him, listen, what is born in her is a promise for the people. And it was in that moment that Joseph came into agreement to nurture and raise that promise inside of her. But what you don't realize is his agreement was the linchpin to it all. Because unless that prophecy could be fulfilled, it couldn't be. But do you know what Joseph represented? The people. The promise wasn't for Mary, the promise was for the people, which is why the promise inside her looked like the people, which is why Jesus became a carpenter after his father and not his mom. So why do I bring that up? Because this man and woman stand. Carolyn, stand. God has impregnated them with things that you're not going to understand. He's impregnated and put vision, dreams, ideas, things in them that are incomprehensible and seem ridiculous even at moments. But they're pregnant whether you like it or not. 
The question will be for substance is will you be like Joseph and say, well, this isn't my purpose and destiny and detach? Or will you say, this is God. I'm gonna help you raise, nurture, and develop that promise. Because ultimately the promise is not for them, it's for you. The promise doesn't make room for them, it makes room for you. The fruit from the promise isn't theirs, it's yours. But we'll never live in the promise until we drink from the well. So let me ask you a question. What is it for you tonight? Have you lost that loving feeling? Where you know you're a Christian and you're going to heaven, but the truth of the matter is you're well, it's stopped up. Where you don't feel close to him. You're not dreaming anymore. You're coming to a worship experience, catching an emotional moment, but going home is empty as you came in. Today, I wanna to unplug that well. Or maybe you've lost sight of the mission. You decided to take charge of your life, right? You decided to pilot the plane. And the reality is, is you know God has more for you, wants to do more through you, and it's time that you let him sit in the, sit in the seat that he's supposed to be sitting in and you get back into yours, and you're ready to do that tonight and say, God, you know what? I'm not, you know what, you know way more than I know. You're much better at this life and you, you understand the plan, the purpose and destiny for me way more than I do, God. I'm giving you back control. Or is it you've just lost agreement? It doesn't just have to be agreement here. It's agreement here. I want you to pray for him so he gets up. I'm no longer gonna wait for people to move. I'm gonna stand in his presence and move as he leads. So if you know you've got a well that's plugged, debris has filled it, and I don't care which one of the three it is, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to make your way right here to this altar. And what we're gonna do is we're going to tarry, we're gonna seek God and we're gonna clear all that debris out and we're gonna allow God to do what only God can do. Amen? Come on, everybody stand, everybody stand, everybody stand. So what is it for you tonight? Are you tired of waiting? Are you tired of, you know, hoping and believing? Are you ready for 
something supernatural to take place in your listen Jeff is just another person like you if God can do something incredible in his life why can't he do what he needs to do in you is your issue bigger than his issue I don't think so is it a relationship could be a marriage whatever it is what is it for you tonight is the night where we drink from the well the living well where we no longer thirst, but where we're satisfied and God does something new. He awakens something new where we believe in something new again. Come on. Would you just close your eyes, lift up your hands. And if you want to come say, Hey, Listen, you can keep coming. You can keep coming. There are people here on the prayer team who will pray with you. There are people who want to see you free because it's not going to be one of us. It's going to be all of us. It's all of us. It's not for somebody. It's for everybody. Come on, let's get ready. Let's worship.